a strange voice called Scrooge by his name and bade him enter. He obeyed. It was his own room, there was no doubt about that, but it had undergone a surprising transformation. This is the illustration from the original version of A Christmas Carol, 1843. Uh, The walls and ceiling were so hung with living green that it looked a perfect grove, from every part of which bright gleaming berries glistened. The crisp leaves of holly, mistletoe, and ivy reflected back the light as if so many little mirrors had been scattered there, and such a mighty blaze went roaring up the chimney as that dull petrifaction of a hearth had never known in Scrooge's time or Marley's or for many and many a winter season gone. Heaped up on the floor to form a kind of throne were turkeys, geese, game, poultry, brawn, great joints of meat, long wreaths of sausage, mince pies, plum puddings, barrels of oysters, red-hot chestnuts, cherry cheek apples, juicy oranges, luscious pears, immense twelfth cakes, and seething bowls of punch that made the chamber dim with their delicious steam. In easy state upon this couch, there sat a jolly giant, glorious to see, who bore a glowing torch in shape not unlike Plenty's horn and held it up, high up, to shed its light on Scrooge as he came peeping round the door. (laughs) What comes next, of course, is that the the ghost of Christmas present whisks Scrooge away from that, that festive vision of the season to the brokenness of his present life, which is the next necessary step on his journey of redemption and transformation. This is the second week of our three-week Advent sermon series, A Spirit of Christmas, inspired by Charles Dickens' classic, A Christmas Carol. Last week, we talked about Scrooge's visit from the ghost of Christmas past. We talked about how, even though our uh, past experiences and hurts and mistakes certainly shape who we have become, um, the difficult parts of our past do not have to define us. And we talked about how our faith in the Messiah, our faith in Christ gives us the hope and peace and assurance that we otherwise lack. Today, the question before us is about our present circumstances. Now, now hopefully, uh, everything in your life right now is wonderful and good and beautiful and joyful and stress-free and amazing and awesome like it should be this time of year. <laughs> but. I know that for plenty of people, uh, both here and all around the world, um, all is not well presently. And so uh, the question before us today is what, what does the spirit of Christmas have to offer for, for those for whom all is not well? In Scrooge's case, of course, uh, his difficult present circumstance is entirely self-inflicted. He is miserable and uncharitable and unkind, he's unhappy with himself, he is unloved by others, and the ghost of Christmas present takes him on a tour of his uh, dysfunction. He visits his nephew's home, that's his beloved sister's only child and also his only living relative, and when he does, he gets to hear uh, what his nephew's family and friends think of him. But the most impactful visit for Scrooge is to the home of his employee, Bob Cratchit, whom Scrooge uh, has ill-treated for so long. 
The Cratchits live in desperate poverty with barely enough to scrape by uh, and with an ailing young man, uh, young son, Tiny Tim, famously. And Scrooge, in this encounter with Cratchit's family, gets to, to see for the first time his negative impact on the lives of others. He gets to hear uh, the bitterness of Cratchit's wife towards him. The, the spirit of Christmas present, the ghost of Christmas present, shows Scrooge that despite his kind of worldly success, he's got plenty of money, but all, all is not well in his life. Now, sometimes we're the cause of our life being not well. Uh, sometimes it's circumstances beyond our control that's the cause, but whatever the cause, it is true that for many, all is, is not well in the present, and that is especially hard this time of year. I have loved this season my entire life. This is not a new phenomenon. Um, but there was one particular year, my junior year of college, where um, this season was really tough. It was one of the most difficult years of my life. Uh, I was having trouble with one of the courses that I was taking in school. Uh, many of my friendships and relationships were struggling or ending. Um, and the worst of it all was the death of one of my favorite people in the world, my great-grandfather. So Papa had been diagnosed with brain cancer the summer before my junior year of college. He died in December of that year. And so his funeral was over Christmas break. Christmas break became very much about um, the grief of losing Papa. And all of it, frankly, was kind of overwhelming. Um, now maybe you've had one of those seasons in your life. Chances are all of us have. Maybe you're in one of those seasons of your life right now. Well, one of my gifts that Christmas was a, a CD anthology of every song that Marvin Gaye ever recorded. <laughs> and it was awesome. Like, it had the, um, I don't know if you remember the 1983 NBA All-Star Game. He did a version of the national anthem that was phenomenal. Uh, it, it captured him singing the Lord's Prayer. He walked up to a mic in Europe, a hot mic, and just sang the Lord's Prayer. And they captured it and put it on this collection. That, that CD collection uh, is amazing. But there was one, one particular song that especially resonated with me during this really difficult year of my life, this really difficult holiday season of my life, because when all is not well, you know, music has a, a way of expressing our, our deepest feelings in the soundtrack of our lives. Now, if you know Marvin Gaye, you know the song, of course. It's called What's Going On. Uh, it was a protest anthem in the early 70s about the injustices and hardships in the world, because sometimes the world, sometimes our personal world, sometimes both uh, is not well. I'm talking about those times in our lives when we're buffeted by strife or by uh, suffering of some kind or by grief or by heartache. That's where I was at this season of my life um, for very different reasons than the original lyrics of the song except for that title. <laughs> because there are times in our lives when we, we feel like crying out to God if we're faithful, uh, what's going on? That's where I was my junior year of college. And the thing about that is um, our faith tells us that God will answer <laughs> when we cry out with those kind of questions. And as Christians, what we believe is the answer is always going to be connected to Jesus because it's, it's in him that we find our good news at all times of our lives. 
So with that by way of introduction, we're going to read the uh, very opening of Mark's gospel. So in a go- if you had never read the gospels, but you knew something about the Christmas story, you would expect that you would open up the gospel and the first thing you'd read about is the birth of Jesus, right? I mean, that usually start at the beginning. Well, we'll see how Mark does it. This is Mark chapter one, verses one to nine. Listen, friends, for the word of God as it is proclaimed by God's servant, the evangelist Mark. The beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ, the son of God. As it is written in the prophet Isaiah, see I am sending my messenger ahead of you who will prepare the way. The voice of one crying out in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. John the baptizer appeared in the wilderness proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins and people from the whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem were going out to him and were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair, with a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. He proclaimed, the one who is more powerful than I is coming after me. I am not worthy to stoop down and untie the thong of his sandals. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So the the four gospels all begin their stories of the life of Jesus differently. Uh, Luke gives us the classic Christmas story. Um, That's the one we're gonna read three weeks from today. It's the one we're probably most familiar with. Matthew gives us a similar account um, in many ways, told from a little bit of a different perspective and with some other interesting details. John usually does something different than the other three gospels. In this case, John doesn't doesn't tell us about Jesus' birth, but he does give us this beautiful, um, just like epic theology, telling us that Christ was in the beginning with God. (laughs) And then then there's Mark. Now Mark was the earliest of the four gospels to have been written. It's written in a very unique style. It's the shortest of the four. It's only only 16 chapters long, and the final six chapters are entirely about Holy Week, focusing on uh, Jesus' death and resurrection. Six of 16 chapters in Mark are devoted to the last week of his life. Now, many scholars believe that, that Mark was writing to a community that was suffering through a season of difficulty. All was not well in the community that Mark was writing to. And so, you know, focusing on the redemptive suffering of Jesus in those last six chapters was important. When you compare Mark to the other gospels, it's almost like uh, it's an, an extended introduction with a long passion narrative. Because when all is not well, we Christians turn to our faith in the Messiah who endured betrayal and suffering and death on our behalf. So in that context then, Mark is the only one of the four gospels to completely ignore the details of Jesus' story from before his public ministry. For our earliest gospel, the beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, is his baptism in the River Jordan because what Mark cares about most is how Jesus offers good news to people who are in the midst of hardship and difficulty for those, uh, those for whom all is not well. Now, all is not well in Scrooge's world 
of course. That's the Muppet version. That's a great Christmas present right there. I mean, great ghost of Christmas present right there on his left. (laughs) After having seen what people think of him, after having seen what a misery he's made of the wife of his employee, Bob Cratchit, what we begin to see in his encounter with the ghost of Christmas present is this, the beginning anyway, of a turn in Scrooge's own spirit. And here's what Dickens writes. Much they saw and far they went and many homes they visited, but always with a happy end. The spirit stood beside sick beds and they were cheerful on foreign lands and they were close at home by struggling men and they were patient in their greater hope by poverty and it was rich. In almshouse, hospital, in misery's every refuge, the spirit left his blessing and taught Scrooge his precepts. Because the coming of the Messiah blesses us all, even those, you might say especially those, who are enduring the greatest hardships. In the opening words of the Gospel of Mark, the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, is that he is the answer, God's answer, to the problems of the world, sin and suffering and evil and death. In a world where uh, wars are raging, where hate is strong and is on display all the time, where fear is rampant, where natural disasters disrupt the lives of so many, where grief and loss and suffering are all around us in lives that have their fair share of struggle and grief and mistakes and brokenness and pain. In that context, to that context, God has an answer. It first came to us in the form of a, of a baby whose birth we'll celebrate in just three short weeks. So if all is not well in your world at the present, well, there is hope. Um, you may know the name Henry Wadsworth Longfellow. He's, uh, he was one of the greatest poets in American history. He was born in Portland, Maine in 1807. And his, his literary brilliance won him um, early renown in his life and lasting renown for the rest of his life. It earned him also a, a position at Harvard. But hardships confronted him time and, and again. And at times, those hardships challenged what was truly a, a deep faith. His first wife became ill and died very young. And it took him seven years before he recovered from that loss enough to remarry, and that marked the return of the good life for him. He and his second wife had five children, uh, and it was during this period that he wrote many of his classic works, so that by 1860, uh, he had garnered a fair amount of wealth. He had garnered worldwide fame. He'd been given honorary degrees by Oxford and Cambridge. But 1861 marked the beginning of a season of suffering and grief. Longfellow's wife died in a household accident that is uh, too terrible to describe. And then, of course, the country was, was plunged into the horror of the Civil War. Ardently believing in the power of God, Longfellow pleaded with the Lord to, to transform hearts and to end the madness of the war. But in November of 1863, his oldest son was 
uh, gravely wounded on a battlefield in Virginia. It appeared it could have been a mortal wound. It certainly was going to be a life-changing wound. And he, and he came home to his father for care. It was unclear if he would survive. It was unclear how Longfellow would, uh, would push through if he did not, now a single parent of five children. And so at Christmas that year, uh, he wrote verses that would become the lyrics to a song that has much more meaning than most people realize when they hear it. Because when all is not well, music has a way of expressing our, our deepest feelings and sometimes our deepest theology in what becomes the soundtrack of our lives. Longfellow wrote, I heard the bells on Christmas Day their old familiar carols play and wild and sweet the words repeat of peace on earth, goodwill to men. And in despair, I bowed my head. There is no peace on earth, I said, for hate is strong and mocks the song of peace on earth, goodwill to men. in his sorrow, in his pain, in his grief, in his fear. One of our greatest and most faithful poets cried out to God, and when he did, he found in the hope of this season the assurance that all shall be well because of the Messiah whose birth we prepare for. Our youth choir in just a minute is gonna sing that song for us, Longfellow's Honest Hymn, and they'll include the final two verses about God's triumph over it all. This is the best time of year. It just is. And I hope that for you, all is well and wonderful and beautiful and bright. In the middle of, of this blessed season, I pray that for you. But if it's not, Take heart and be strong and have hope for God is with you and the Messiah is coming. Amen.